It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for he, we shall see him as he is. And for just a few moments this morning, I want to talk on the topic of identity crisis. So let us pray. God, we love you. We appreciate you. God, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in this service, in our hearts, our minds. God, we thank you for what you're, what you're about to teach us through your word. We, God, we ask you to bless this place, Lord God. And, and anoint every person here. Anoint their ears to hear, their minds to understand, our hearts to receive your word, Lord God, that we can leave this place differently than we came. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Before you're seated, look to your neighbor and say, I know who I am. Some of you may have just lied. I think I know who I am. And I know Brother White has mentioned this several times, and I'm just going to reiterate it because God is an amazing God. Um, in case you think or how, how much you think our services are produced, um, they are not. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, they are not produced. But when I hear songs and them singing a song, we shall be like him. And then our opening verse is about us being like him and who we really are. Uh, there's no question in my mind that God is intervening in every part of our service. Amen? Amen. I, I just, it, it's probably more impactful to those of us who know the, and boy, this is really pulling back the curtain a bit, but to know the lack of planning that we actually do for service. It's, it's alarming sometimes that we actually have service <laughs> at times. But to show the workmanship of God throughout every bit of it just serves to prove that God is a God of order, and he loves everything done decently in order, and nothing that comes for the pulpit goes uh, without his blessing. Amen? I'm glad I'm in the church of a living God. All right, let's get into, let's get into uh, our, our lesson here today about identity crisis. Our identity is probably one of the most important things we have in our lives. I mean, one of the biggest news stories you find out there, in fact, I heard a story this morning on the news about a very large uh, security breach in one of the largest uh, medical uh, uh, systems that m millions of, of patients have their, have their uh, identities and their, their information are at risk now. It's, and identity theft is rampant where they can get into all your online things and steal from you and all those wonderful, horrible things that they can do. Uh, and we realize today that our identity, who we are, is extremely important. It's how we present ourselves to the rest of society. It's how we interact with others. It's how others interact with us. If you ever come in a contact with a law enforcement official, what's one of the first things they ask you for? Your, say it, ID, right? Your identification, your card, your driver's license, your passport, whatever it is. It is critically important of society and how we act. Identity is so important. And having a sense of identity lends itself to a sense of belonging. 
more than just your name, rank, and serial number, or your address and, and uh, all the, the related information. Your identity is also gives you a sense of belonging. If we know how we define ourselves, it's easier to find communities and places where we find that we belong if we know our identity. We realize this in politics. They have this term called identity politics, where politicians will pander to a certain class or socioeconomic uh, uh, segment of the population, and they call it identity politics. I want to just talk to the poor people, or I want to just talk to the rich people, or to the people of this ethnicity, or that ethnicity, or this geographic region, or that geographic region, or, or whatever it is, and they play this identity politics because it's your identity that puts you into a society, how you relate, how others see you, and how you see yourself. It's interesting to look at our identities because they evolve over time. Your identity is not constant. You're like, wait a second, I'm Mike, and I've always been Mike, and I always will be Mike. True, hopefully. Some, we can get into that in a little bit here. Some people change. But your identity and how you identify yourself changes over time. For example, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, in my teenager, I defined myself very differently than I do when I was in my 30s. The clothes I wore, the language I spoke, the people I interacted with, completely different. I can tell you I no longer define myself as I did when I was a teenager. That's a good thing. When I went to college, I felt a, nice, a sense of identity tied to my college major. You'll hear this a lot on campuses or where you talk with these, these young people. When they introduce themselves, it's, hi, I'm Mike Wood, CS major. What? Is that your last name? No, 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 no. That's just, I'm, I'm a computer science major. That's what I do. Or you meet somebody, I, I, I'm pre-med. And it automatically zaps you to, okay, this is their frame of reference. This is their mindset. This is how they behave. This is their thought pattern. This is how they're going to interact with me if they're pre-med or pre-law or bio biology or computer science or whatever it might be. You identify yourself. It becomes a part of who you are as a person. When I got married, it was no longer, hi, I'm Mike. But now it's, this is Mr. and Mrs. Wood which is really weird the first time you hear it, and still kind of eh, even though it's been over 18 years. I should have gotten used to it by now, but it's still weird, right? It's no, my identity changed, and as humans and social beings, we've learned to how to identify ourselves in a number of ways. We do this to give others kind of a, a shortcut or shorthand, a, a way to place and understand us. Uh, uh, like, like when we would introduce ourselves with our majors, it was a way to, to, to know where you plug in to the rest of society. How to make sense of them and how to make sense of of ourselves. Some people tie their identities to all different things like their work or their career. Some people tie their identities to their families. They have a big family name and, and that's who they are. If I say the word Carnegie or Rockefeller or Morgan, your minds immediately go. If I say the words Trump or Clinton, right? Your minds go to a set of values and a set of, uh, of characteristics, right? Because they're tied up, their identities are tied up into that. 
Other people tie their identities to their passions, to their hobbies and their dreams. You, you see it as you go down the road of the bumper stickers and the stickers on the windows. I'm a proud parent of. Or my other car is an airplane. Or I'd rather be sailing. You know who they are. You know their identity. You know how they plug into society. We know how to behave and what standing we have. We need to, to, to have, understand that we need to know who we are. My identity allows me to do things that maybe others can't do. I can do things that my kids can't do because I'm the father and they are not. I can do things at my work because I'm the manager and they are not. There are certain things how we behave and how we interact with society all tied up to our identities. What we do and how we behave are completely reliant on who we are, our position, and our identity. But life doesn't often play well with our plans and how we identify ourselves. Too often times, life throws you for a loop and can put your identity into a crisis. What I thought I was maybe isn't who I am. What I tried to portray maybe isn't really what reality shows. People aren't interacting with me the way I think they should be because of who I think I am. And those kind of things develop an identity crisis. And when an identity crisis strikes, it's only natural to wrestle with it. It can be rattling and upsetting, but also it can bring an entirely wonderful new chapter to your life, depending on the identity that you're struggling with. See, identity crisis is defined as a period of uncertainty or confusion in a person's life. And this crisis occurs when a person's sense of identity becomes insecure or unstable. Who I thought I was maybe is not who I am. Being attacked on every side, our our sense of who we truly are in Christ and our identity in Christ can become unsure and unstable. And we, it is very easy for us to falter in our Christian identity. We are suffering from an identity crisis in this world today. People today can't figure out who they are. We have men wanting to become women, women wanting to become men, both are wanting to become nothing. Yes, there's like the... There's, I think I saw one the other day was 12 different genders. Don't ask me what they are, because when I read the book, it says he created male and female. I don't know more than that, but that's what the world is telling us today. In fact, we were, I, I, we were over at a birthday party this, this past week, and it was Hunter's birthday party, and, I, and, I, and a message popped up, because I didn't actually go and read the article. But the headline was this, that, it has been determined by scientists, and I think they use this term lightly, scientists, that a baby in utero, in womb, can determine whether or not they are transgendered or not. I'm not sure how they're gathering this data. What I think is most interesting is that that baby can determine whether they're transgendered, but they can't tell me that that baby's alive and it's actually a baby, so they can kill it, right? So I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm going too far on that, but uh, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. They can tell if they're transgendered, but it's not really a baby, so something's not right there. I think they're just trying to bend science to whatever they want it to be. 
But anyway, we, we, we go to all these things and there seems this identity crisis. Somewhere in all this confusion and attacks from every side, there are many who seem to have forgotten who we really are in Christ. When God made you in Christ, He made you something new. Something better, something different from your old self. And somewhere with all these things going around this world that we've forgotten who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. When we come to God, we're a new creature, a new creation. We are not who we used to be. We don't act the same way. We don't do the same things. We have a different identity. Somewhere we have forgotten that we are truly a child of the King. Not just a king, but the king of kings. God Almighty, the omnipotent God, the one who who made everything that ever was and ever will be. Somewhere along the line, we've forgotten who we are. When those who are suffering from an identity crisis, one of the best treatments that uh, psychologists give is, uh, uh, is to ground them in reality and remind them of who they are. When someone walks into a psychiatrist's office and says, I'm having an identity crisis, the first thing they do is say, let's find out where you sit today. Who are you as a person? Ground them in reality rather than looking at all the worries, anxieties, and imaginations that crop up in our lives. Once we realize who we are in Christ, then our behaviors can change. So once we get to start realizing who we really are in God, Then all these things of what if God, or I wonder if God, or all the fears and worries that seem to to plague us seem to drift away because our behaviors can change. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be backward or ashamed. We have certain responsibilities and privileges because of who we are. As our opening scripture said, uh, that we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Not a fictitious imagination, not a make-believe story, but we will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's not this scripture, it's the one before it. Not how, he, not how he actually is, not what we think he is, not what we want him to be, not, but how he actually is the factual God without change, without distortion, without alteration. We need to know who we are unaffected by the identity crisis that's plaguing the world around us. So the question is, is who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? First of all, we have to understand that in Christ, I am accepted. I want everybody to say that. I am accepted. You didn't do it. You didn't do it even one little bit. I looked around and went, maybe you didn't hear me. All right, let's try it again. I want everybody to say, I am accepted. Okay, you almost got it. You said something, but not what I wanted you to say, but that's okay. We'll get it the next one. All right. You are accepted. Think about that. You ever went to a loan and they said, no, you can't have the loan? All right. You ever played a dodgeball or any kind of sport in school where they had to pick the teams and you were the last one or left out completely? How about this one? You ever wanted to go out on a date with somebody and they didn't want to go out with you? You felt rejected. You felt lonely. You felt bad. 
those are not good feelings to have. You felt like a, like a failure, right? Uh-huh. Every, am I talking to anybody? Or is it just me? I know I've been through all of those scenarios, all right? So it, maybe it's just me. But when we come to God, think about this. The King of kings, God of glory, the most holy one says, you're accepted just as you are. And I'm going to give you something that's even better than you can ever dream. I have moved from a place of sin and despair and uncleanness and filth to a place of being accepted by the Most High God. I've been accepted. Now, I didn't say this before, but if you're one who likes to take notes, get your pen ready because we've got about 152 scriptures to go through in the next 12 minutes. All right? So get them, get them ready. But... We have been justified through Christ. In Romans 5 and 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we are acceptable, that we have been accepted by and justified through him. We know, that we know the, uh, the terms of justified is, is, is if I, just as if I've never done it, right? He says, you've done sin, you've done things wrong, you've, been, you've done the sin, but being justified through Christ, meaning that it's okay because his blood covered it all. I've been justified. Not only that, but I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. And 1 Corinthians says, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You don't buy things you don't want, unless you're married. Sorry, that was, that was commentary. You don't buy things that you don't want, right? You buy things that you need, and you buy things that you want. If you don't want it, you don't need it, you don't buy it, right? Right? God bought us with a price, He took us when we were in our least and said, I'm buying you with the most precious thing of all through my blood. And he bought us with a price because we are accepted by him. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I've been redeemed and forgiven by all my sins. In Colossians 1, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to, part, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That last portion of that scripture is so powerful that says, I know I'm no good. I know I've done bad. I know that I don't deserve this, but God has accepted me through the redemption and the purchase power of his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Not only am I accepted, but I'm accepted as a child of God. I'm not just an acquaintance. I'm not just a, a, a friend uh, who, who lives down the road, but I am a part and parcel family of God. I am God's child. And John, uh, the first chapter says, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become what? The sons of God, even to them, them that believe on his name. We are children of God. Think about that. Again, 
If you think about the royalty of God and the kingship of God and, and, and the lordship of God, the children of the king have special rights and privileges. And I got to be careful here because I could go the rest of the time just on this. But we have a certain authority and a certain place in this world by being simple children of the king. We just went through the funeral of Queen Elizabeth and we saw the child of the queen King Charles now ascend to the throne for one reason and one reason only, because he was her child. No other qualification. He was the child of the queen and of the king. Understand this. When you are a child of the king, you have certain rights and certain privileges and you have certain authority simply by being who you are. Your identity in Christ is so important. You are a child of God. Not only that, but we are also his friend. Henceforth, in John 15, it says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servants knows not what the Lord does. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Not only are we children of God, but we are friends of God. Of you who had kids, how many know your kids are not your friends? I hope so, right? You cannot be your child's friend all the time. Yeah, it's great as a parent when you get the buddy up with them, but at some point you have to step up and be the parent, right? It's not always fun. But then they get older and they move out and that relationship changes and you start talking with them. And they become your confidant and your friend. That's what happens with God is he, we are his confidant, that he's our friend, that he holds nothing back from us, not even the family, but also the friendship. Nothing is withheld from us. That's who you are with God. Because I'm accepted, I have direct access. And Ephesians says, through him, we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. We have access to God. I mean, think about that. We keep saying this word God, and it just, I think it just kind of washes over us. There are religions in this world that have gods that nobody's allowed to approach. We have people in this world that nobody can get close to because of how important they are. They have a close circle. They, they have influence. But, through, but because of who you are, you have access to literally the all-powerful, mighty God because of who you are. And we are complete in him, for in him dwells all fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is the next one in Colossians. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You want to find out who you are? You are complete. You know, there was an old movie that had a phrase that you complete me. And they were in love, and they loved each other, and they completed each other. But trust me, I don't care who your spouse is and how wonderful they are, you're not complete until you have Jesus in your life. If you want to be complete, you want to feel whole. You know the word salvation actually means wholeness, being made whole, because we were separated from our source in the garden with the original sin, and, 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 and as we sin grow, as we, as we live... And what salvation actually does is make that whole again. You cannot be complete without reconciliation with God. It can't happen. It's impossible. If you feel empty, you feel lonely at all, it's because your relationship with God isn't quite right. 
If you want completeness, you want to feel, you want to feel whole, it's in God. It's in Christ. If you want to know who you are, you are complete in Christ. Amen? Not only am I accepted, but I'm also secure in Christ. Because of acceptance, I can remain ex- secure. One of the great things about marriage is that when you get married, not only do they say, yes, I do, right? And yes, that is an incomplete sentence. You're really not sure what you're agreeing to in that. Trust me. It, it, there's a lot of stuff that you agree to in that and that's not written in those vows. Just letting you know if anybody is getting ready to do any of that. But when you say, I do, one day they've accepted you, but now part of that vow is no matter what happens, no matter how ugly you get, no matter how much you smell, you know, all the things that Brother Jason sang about today, you know, I don't care how bad your breath is, I don't care how bald you get, I ain't going anywhere. You're stuck with me. That's it. Till death do us part. You keep it up, it might get here sooner. You, no, I'm kidding. No, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about murder. Um, but that's, you're secure in that relationship, which allows you to be free. Because the end is, you're still together, you're secure. And that's what we get in Christ. We're secure in Christ. In Romans 8, it says, we know that all things work together for what? Good to them that love God or to them that are called according to his purpose. And the next one is, is similar in, in uh, Philippians. It says, and being confident of this very thing that he which has begun that good work in you will perfect it until the day of, uh, of Jesus Christ. We have an assurity and a security that he's going to do good for us. And that whatever thing he started good, he will finish it. We can be confident. Amen? Not only that, we love being accepted. We love that baptism. We love that repentance. But we can also rest assured and be secure in our salvation that there is no condemnation anymore. In Romans uh, chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Now therefore is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after flesh. For the law of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus hath made you free from the law of sin and death. We have no more condemnation. There's nobody else going to come and say, but I remember. God looks at us and says, I remember no more. We can be secure in our acceptance and our salvation with God. We've been anointed and sealed by God. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Now he which you, who established you, or us with you in Christ, and has anointed us in God, who has sealed us and given us the earnest of our spirit in our hearts. He's anointed and sealed us so we can be secure in him. That we cannot be separated from the love of God. In Romans again, 8.35, we know this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or, or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure that His love will never fail us. Amen? 
That in 2 Timothy, we're secure that we have power in a sound mind. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That no, that no matter what is coming upon us, no matter what confusion, anxiety, or fear, that God, we can be secure that He is going to give us power to overcome it all. Amen? And I can find grace and mercy in the time of need. So whenever I need something from God, I don't have to be afraid. But I'm secure in knowing that I can go to Him and I can interact him, uh, with Him boldly because of who I am. One of the greatest things that I, I see through my kids, and I, I realize that through my kids what I had growing up even, is that when you're a child and you have a good father and a good mother and a, you know good parents that no matter what happens in your life you can go and ask them for something you can it might not be easy it might not be fun because some of the things you have to ask are not always pleasant this life isn't always you know roses and and mar- marshmallows right but when you are their child you realize there's an unconditional love there And that no matter what happens in my life, I feel safe and secure to go and ask them whatever it is that I have need. My kids have zero problem asking me for money. None. It doesn't matter, Dad. Going out for, you know, whatever, and can can I have, you know, some money? It's like, I remember my dad when I would ask him. And he would say, go get a job. I don't remember too much of this coming out. <laughs> maybe I blocked it out, or maybe he just didn't have it. I'm not sure which. Well, you can ask him tonight and see. Uh, but they have no problem asking for it because of who they are. They feel secure. Likewise, they should have no problem asking, Dad, I'm at a party. I'm at a place where I shouldn't be. Some bad things are happening. I need a ride home. Sure. You're secure. You're safe. I'll come get you. Same way with our Father. God, I need some money. I need some provision. I need something. We should have no problem going to Him. Similarly, God, I got myself in problems. I got myself in trouble. But because of who I am, I can boldly go to the throne. In Hebrews, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto his throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In Ephesians, it reiterates, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We have security in Christ Jesus. That's who you are in God. And then we're also significant in God. We have to understand if you're struggling with your identity of who you are in Christ and really what Christ has made you to be, understand that you're just not a nameless face, that you're just not another person filling a pew, but you matter to God. You're important to God, that you mean something to God. This whole world may look at you and say, you're good for nothing. You're useless. There's nothing good ever come out of you. But understand, God does not see you that way. Because when you come to Christ, as we said, you are a new creature. 
old things are passed away. Yeah, you may have been useless. Yeah, you may have been good for nothing. Yeah, you may have been a thief, cheat, and whatever else you want to label on there. But now you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are somebody who matters to God. In Ephesians, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You are something that he works on and perfects. How much time do you spend on things that don't matter? Hopefully not very much. But if something's important to you and something means something to you, what are you going to do? You're going to take your time. You're going to make sure it's right. You're going to make sure it's perfect. And that's what God does for us. You are significant to God. He's building something out of you and through you and with you. In 1 Corinthians, he kind of gives us an idea of what that is. He says, no, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. I hope that word God isn't washing over you and you really take it in of who we're talking about here, that we are the temple of God. Think of the care and effort that went in building the tabernacle and Solomon's temple and their work was an indication of its significance to God and to the people. And when the scriptures, so if you remember how they had to have the, uh, the, the, the cloth just right and the furniture just right and, and it had to be the right uh, width and length and height and all the work that they went into it. Why? Because those temples and those tabernacles that housed the Spirit of God were so significant and so important. Now, in the New Testament, when it says that, that you are the temple of God, don't you think the same significance and care is being done to you as the temple of that same awesome, powerful, mighty God? The care and the attention to detail that they put into the tabernacle and into the temple is being put into you. Why? Because you matter to God. You are significant to God. I've been a chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I have purpose. I have a job. I am significant enough not to just take up space. I am significant to God. And John, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. God has chosen us and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. We have a purpose because we're significant to God. We are the salt and the light of the earth. In Matthew it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. But you're also the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If we lose our savor or we or our light is hid, we can't have the influence that we're supposed to have. When we have this identity crisis because of some kind of trouble, tribulation, or as the world calls it, a trauma, we can't be who God wants us to be. We are significant to him because we do have this purpose. We have a job to do. We mean something to God. 
He's given us power to be a witness. In Acts it says, but you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are supposed to be witnessing unto the power of God manifested in our lives. And if you ever think that you can't do it, in Philippians it says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. If you want to know how significant you are, think about all the things that God enables us to do through his strength. Amen? Amen. Let us stand today. I hope you understand who you truly are in Christ this morning. That you're not just a nameless face, that you're not somebody who has nothing to do and nothing to offer, but you are somebody who is of a special sort. That you are a great person. That God died for you. At the beginning, I asked everybody before you were seated to say, I know who I am. I wondered this morning if we truly do know that. Do we realize who we truly are? I know a crisis in identity can be a difficult and scary thing. It can cause issues between you and everybody you encounter and even within yourself. But the moment we realize who we are and keep that in the forefront of our minds, then we cannot be shaken and we cannot be moved. Remember who you are. You are the child of a king. You've been accepted regardless of your past. You've been accepted regardless of what your present even might be. God has accepted you. You're secure in his love and in his grace and his mercy. And you are significant to him. You know, we talk about marriage and spouses and everything, and we call them our significant other. They're the one who means the most to you. You are the significant other of Jesus. You are the one that means the most to him. He loves you that much. You are significant. We are the children of of the most high God. Never forget who you are. I'm going to close with this scripture in 1 Peter. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar or a special people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are a child of the king. Never, ever forget who you are. Never suffer from an identity crisis because God wants you to be all that he's made you to be. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you. We do appreciate you, God. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our minds and our lives right now, God. We ask you, Lord God, as we leave this place, let us never forget about who we are in you, God, that you've made us something more, something better, something greater than we could ever do on our own, God. Let us stand firm on your word today and this week and for the rest of our lives, God, we will never falter and we will never be shaken. God, keep your hand of protection on each and every one of us. Bring us back at the next service time. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Shake hands and be friendly. Come early for prayer. We're going to have a great service tonight.